welcome to the Car Sim and Race Driver Show, presented by Hugh Hattrick. Drive fast and try not to crash. Should just, should just be starting. <laughs> you know. Hello, good evening, good morning, wherever you are across the globe. You're watching the Car Sim and Race Driver Show with me, Hugh Hattrick, and my very special guest, all the way from New Zealand, live via the internet. It is James Maxwell. Good morning, James. Yes, good evening, Hugh. How are you, man? I'm very well, very well indeed. It's great to have you with us. And we've got lots of people waiting. We've already had questions coming through to the ass, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, so we'll get started. Now, James, you were in, in, the, in the, 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 the chat we've had before we got started. You were telling me um, that you were uh, into Gran Turismo from the beginning when it first came out. So let us know a bit about your history of how you got started in Gran Turismo. Yeah, Gran Turismo's got a little bit of a long story for me. Um, it all started back in Bathurst in 2001. Um, I was just, I went to watch Bathurst. Most people have heard of it. It's Australia's like most famous racetrack. And uh, went there with a mate. And when I finished that, I was just into cars. I uh, brought a project car and I, and I noticed my brother was playing a car game. And I was like, oh, mate, what's that? And he's like, oh, it's Gran Turismo. PlayStation, get on it. And, and I did instantly. I became addicted. Uh, remember having many a sore thumb from grinding Gran Turismo back on the old buttons of the controller. Um, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, from there, it just became a bit of a love affair, I guess. Uh, Gran Turismo 3 and 4 were really where, where it ramped up. And then we sort of dropped off for 5 and 6. And then uh, when sport was dropped, I had just moved to New Zealand and I had a little bit of free time on my hands. Uh, so we picked up the old PlayStation 4 and the Gran Turismo and just started grinding away on the controller again. And, uh, yeah, about a year ago we moved over to the wheel and since then the game has pretty much changed. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's so, once you get a wheel, it's just so much different. Um, yeah. I can definitely recommend it for any of those thinking of swapping over. Now, do you have some favourite tracks? Um, for example, you know, especially in the earlier Gran Turismo's that you played, you know, things like Trial Mountain and other ones. There were lots of, you know, either you loved them or you hated them. Did you have any yeah. kind of favourites there? That's the one that I remember. Trial Mountain is that's the one where you cut the chicane at the last and you used to fly over all the grass just trying yeah, to like do <laughs> record laps. Or it was late in the game, oh, like P one, and he was he was just coming to that chicane, and you knew that once he got there, you were going to get him because you were going to jump the grass and uh, fly through there. I think that's even maybe how you get golds in the early licenses back there too. Yeah, you see, there I was I was a good boy. I never cut the corner like that. I was always. That's why I was too was too slow. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I maybe my brother showed me that actually because I remember just struggling forever. And not uh, being able to like gold that track, and yeah. then I think I must have been watching my brother play one day, and he just sails straight over the grass. I'm like, "What? You go <laughs> over the grass there?" I we all had to wait and go through the chicane, thinking we'll get a penalty. If yeah. we're, we're already ready for the GT Sport pit penalty system by this yeah, point, it's, you know? it's very heavy there. One would suggest no cutting at all. Keep that yeah, if it comes in the new game, that will be that. That will be all over. But um, yeah. so you've got some good favourites there, and so you so you played pretty much all the Gran Turismo games right the yeah. way through. Yeah, like one and two, 
I was more into driving at that stage with my own car, but I did play them fairly heavily in my spare time. But three and four, I 99% of those. Mm -hmm. uh, I've since read on Reddit that you couldn't 100% them and they had a bug. They had a 99% bug. So maybe I had the 99% bug. Um, but yeah, I had never 100%ed a car game. Um, and yeah, because I, I, from there I moved into Forza and I 99%ed the first couple of Forzas as well. Um, just couldn't ever pass one. But we finally the other day got the Platinum Trophy in Gran Turismo Sport. So I'm fairly chuffed about that, actually. That, that was, that's been a long road, three years. So the uh, Platinum Trophy. So is that yeah. for like doing all the kind of... Um, yeah, that's level 50, 91 wins, 322 races. And what's the other one? There's another one in there too. Maybe pole position, centre pole positions, 61 pole positions. Well, that's pretty good. I've never had that. I think I'm on, on my main account. I think I've got to level 37 or 38. Um, yep. uh, on, uh, I think because it come down as Emerald or something. I can't quite remember um, a different one. But uh, but no, that's, that is a real milestone to achieve. Now, for all the guys watching, um, James is incredible at his lap times. Uh, I'm sure you've seen him on, on his streams doing these lap guides as well. Um, but you, what what is your um, top tips for getting a good lap time? Because you really are pretty much near the top 10 um, with your with your lap guides and with your lap times. Uh, if, yeah, one of the things that we were just talking about that was probably worth bringing up was that the importance of which corner, uh, which corner is the most important. So every track has a most important corner to a least important corner and you really want to know which one the most important one is it's the fastest corner onto the fastest straight mm -hmm. and, uh, that corner has to be nailed every time and that will consistently keep your lap time low and then you slowly just sort out the other corners um so the fastest corner leading to the fastest straight yep. is the one that you need to get right that's the most important one yeah so on monza that's probably the parabolica i guess so yeah was, yeah because yeah. you were doing really fast times uh, was it 156.3 was it that you got um yeah that was on the stream and then since we've done a on tuesday night we did a 55.7 um but yeah i'm not sure if i'll keep that on that we, we smashed out a quick lap guide so that should uh that should be enough i'm gonna say with a 55.7 you can work for avis for that one that's what they were doing, you know, you know, nobody's quicker than an Avis delivery driver. And certainly not in my experience, you know, you know, it was like, that is incredible. Because the best line time in the world was like a 155.3. So to get a 155.7, that is, that is really something. But um, especially on Monza, which is a tricky track, because you've got to get the chicanes, you've got to get the curbs right, all of that, isn't yeah. it? And uh, it's you know, that, yeah. that epic response. I'll start asking some of the questions. From your fans here um, <laughs> yes. here we go so I get ready for these ones um now <laughs> um where who how do you find the motivation to keep going faster by loopy racing uh motivation to keep going faster. uh i that's actually that is the best question i've had i've never really thought about it um i think i just continually move the goalposts um so i started uh, I think we were, just, we were just chatting. I started about seven to ten seconds off the pace back when I was a controller player. Uh, actually, that gets me to a story before that. On Gran Turismo 5, I think they had the first competitive um, mode for uh -huh. the Nissan Academy Challenge. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, remember, I think I remember sitting down one day 
um, uh, like I thought I, you know, as as you do, you think you're written a bit. Sat on the couch one day to cut a couple of hot laps, thinking I was a Gran Turismo professional, and um, <laughs> I put in. I spent maybe an hour or two cutting laps or whatever the challenge was, and then I checked my rank and I was four and a half thousandths fastest in the world. <laughs> and I was extremely demotivated. I just looked at that and I was like, there is no way you can drive a car faster around that track than what I've done. <laughs> and um, instantly I just hung up the controller. That was it. I never, I never had a second go. Yeah. Um, and then when sport came out, um, same sort of deal. You just realised how slow you were as you were driving along. But I had a bloke from work started playing at the same time. Mm. And so that was that was the initial motivation. We just played together and every morning before work we would discuss who had the fastest time and where we were finding it. And about at that time I think both of us were about seven seconds off the pace, like seven seconds out of the leaderboard. It just became a slow grind. Like the first target was five seconds and then the target became two seconds and then the target became one second. And I think the current target that I try and be is always under 1%. So, um, yeah, if we can get within 1%, it's, I pretty much hang up the boots then and then it's time to swap over and start racing. Yeah, um, no, that would be that would be pretty good. But well, you're not far away. Um, judging by the times at at uh, at, uh, at Monza, that was something. Now, um, just um, for b before we go on to our next question, I wanted to um, wish a happy birthday to one of our very loyal followers who's been with us from day one, when literally he was our only follower uh, on the Car Simon Race Driver Show, which wasn't that long ago, to be fair. So I want to give a big shout out and birthday wishes to Pagan Ant Ant. Happy birthday to you! Thank you very much for being so loyal and I hope you're well and enjoying the show. Now, I'll quickly go on to our next question uh, by another one of your fans. Now, here we are. It is question two by uh, <coughs> CST BFO Fat Furby. Question two, how did you feel getting beaten around to Suba, to Suba by Furby? Yeah, so uh, first of all, happy birthday, Ed. Uh, thanks for dropping in and um, having a watch. I hope you're enjoying the show, mate. Um, how did I feel getting beaten? Well, so we had a practice lobby just uh, last night. Um, I've been talked into taking the FIA series a little more serious. And so I had a practice lobby the other night and promptly got beaten by Furby on a better strategy. Um, consequently, we have done two sessions of high fuel runs uh, practice lobbies since by myself to make sure that my opening stint is up to pace. Um, yeah, so that, that that's, that's, <laughs> that's how I feel. Trying yeah. to embarrass you on TV. That's on the, on the, on the yeah, one. Exactly. But, it's always <laughs> enjoyable. <laughs> but now, though, I mean, it's I mean, because you do live streaming a lot. Uh, and how have you found, you know, your, obviously your channel's grown a bit. And do you just find that every week that you stream, kind of more and more people start to watch? Or you think there's a secret to how you're doing it? So, uh Secrets? No, uh, the biggest secret I would have is just be yourself and do what you want to do. Um, if you if you like YouTubing for hours on on uh, end, then just jump on and do some streams. If you like making videos, just make videos and post them. Mm -hmm. um, the 
no real secrets. The only advice I have would be interaction is the key. Um, yeah. You really, uh, I think everyone that has a, not everyone, but everyone that has a YouTube channel has a little bit of ego. You do enjoy time with yourself, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you really have to share uh, share your ego with other people. Um, there's plenty of people out there putting content on YouTube and they're enjoying their racing and they're enjoying sharing what they're doing. Um, yeah. And you should just be involved, be involved with like, every person that watches my channel and makes a comment um says hi i try and make sure i go out of my way and i see if they have content on their channel yeah and if i enjoy it or if i have something to add i definitely comment and like and uh just really try and keep it all about the community and the people because without other players like yeah. grand well grand turismo is an empty game um yeah the the sports side of it is the is where the enjoyment comes from. And I try and get in a habit when I'm in a lobby, like the online lobbies racing, um, always congratulating the winner, uh, always saying well done to the guys on the podium, um, sending messages to guys that you have really good races with. Just yeah. let them know that they raced really well and mm. really try and remove the negativity out of the game. I, if you're watching up streams, you'll see that, me, like everyone else, does get negative. I do get angry. I do swear. I do punt people. And sometimes and unavoidable stuff is, yeah, stuff that I wish that I didn't do. But at the yeah. end of the day, you're human. But I also try and make sure I go out of my way to, you know, like I said, just really encourage other players and really encourage people that are trying to do the best thing. If you race clean, um, I'll always say thanks for the clean race or. I, I try and redress if I make serious errors. Like if it's if I think if I think I've done you know the wrong thing, um, yeah, just redress out of courtesy. Um, yeah, that I my next question actually. Um, I was kind of jokingly say for your for your followers will be no doubt commenting to see if you tell the truth on this one. But are you uh, would you call yourself a quite a clean racer overall? Do you try and avoid um, punting and things like that, or do you find that it seems to um, uh, affect your your laps more than you would like. Um, I oh, look, would I call myself clean? Um, I'm an in car racer, so I race in car view, which generally means I don't have the best awareness um, of how close cars are, and I do like to run close proximity. So, if, say, if you're going, if I give you room on the outside to overtake me. Um, as we move into the braking zone, like I'll squeeze to the white line to make sure there's only one car there. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, you know, sometimes you make contact on the way in or I always try and, like if you're watching some of the replays, you'll see that I come right across to the edge of the road to just make sure there's only one car with so they don't have an advantage to overtake me. But yeah. if I touch them or run them out of room in that scenario, then I will like... I'll redress or apologize or if I spin them out like I I didn't spin a guy out the other day but I just remember I remember having a battle with the bloke in first for a lap or two and I accidentally touched him but I noticed a guy in third or fourth was coming through the field really really quickly um so I took off just to make sure that I would keep 
the first slash second position. But by the time we got to the final lap, it was a daily race C. Um, the guy that I had the accident with at the start of the race um, was in second position and I'd cost him like four or five seconds and he was sitting about four or five seconds behind me. Um, so I just pulled over on the line to let him pass because he lost five seconds in the battle with me earlier. Um, I saw him move down the field and he moved back into second position. Um, really, if we didn't have that contact, he would have won the race. Um, so I thought it was uh, my, you know, I cost him that time. So I gave him that time back. That was very um, good. That was like Fangio. I'm sure Fangio did that to Sterling Moss once many yeah. years back. But the- it, yeah. But in the same token, if he was third or fourth or had run off, I, you know, I wouldn't have slowed down in that case. But because he was the car behind me on track. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you could do it. Yeah, yeah, it was it was more possible to do it. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that's really good. I, I've got another question for you. Um, the top three racing games that you like, not including Gran Turismo. This is a really, really difficult question because the list of racing games I've played um, is I've played Forza, Gran Turismo. I, I think I've played a few of the F one games, but that's pretty much the limit of it. So I did try Project Cars 2 mm-hmm. and El Seta Corsa, but no game apart from Gran Turismo or Forza has had, actually, sorry, the Formula One games, but no yeah. games other than Forza or Gran Turismo have really spent more than two hours in my console at any time. Um, yeah. So it's, it's like I really did love F1 and I do try and play like the new ACC came out. Yeah, and I really did try that, but um, prior to moving to New Zealand, I was all about not being into sim racing. I wanted, yeah. like, I had a real project car, and I used to go do mountain cruises and track days and your yeah, car cruises and all that kind of stuff. So all my money and time went into the real world rather than the virtual world. And it's only since moving to New Zealand I don't have a project car or a shed or anything or um, yeah. over here to work on. So. So that's all the time just gets pumped into Gran Turismo at the moment, all the spare yeah. time. Um, and it can be addictive, isn't it? Because it's, it's easy to play into the night uh, on Gran Turismo, isn't it? When you get into this kind of rhythm of it and you get a good race combination. Um, it's, you know, and you, and you, if you, it's, I, always, I love Brands Hatch um, on Group 4. And every time that's on, I do tend to find I'm spending some late nights um, on that one trying to get some good results there. Um, but uh, now one of the one of the questions from one of our co-hosts, Jonathan, is saying, um, "Do you follow Formula One? And did sim racing come from a love of of car racing, um, or a, or a love of computer games?" Uh, the cars. It's always been about the cars for me. Um, I'm a mechanic by trade, and I just love tinkering with cars. So my favourite hobby is working on cars. Driving has always been secondary. Um, even the reason that I do track days was to modify my car to go on the track. It wasn't necessarily to go out there and learn how to drive fast. Um, for those that watch Initial D, I'm the guy with the oil in the veins, not the petrol in the veins. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was always about hands-on. It was all about modifying. I really always wanted to be a motorsport mechanic. Not yeah. wasn't really interested in the driving side. I'm more interested in the technical side um, 
So I, I'm really into Time Attack and Formula One because they're high engineering um, yeah. cars. Like uh, aerodynamics is a key interest. Um, yeah, it's really only been lately, within probably the last 18 months, that driving has become um, the primary uh, reason that I'm playing car games. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting because I mean, all, I, all everyone that follows um, sim racing and and does sim racing, whether it be on a controller or with a wheel and pedals, you know, the, the, we all want to get faster. Um, and what you've shown is that you've come from a point when you were, you know, seven or eight seconds away from the top times, and now you're a fraction, three, four tenths away from the top time, which is really, uh, really very, very good indeed. Um, so for everyone who's watching tonight, you need to watch an Exiles lap guides um, because you're going to learn a huge amount, and it's it's really encouraging being able to learn you know the tips of how to get around the track properly uh, because a lot of people simply just won't have thought about you know the important corners getting the braking bits right you know accelerating right keeping the car steady things like that all the things you have to kind of master um, if you're going to do a really good lap time so i would it's it's for all the people watching tonight you need to make sure you sign up to an exiles uh, uh, um, channel and um, i've got it in the description i've managed now to figure out how to do that so it's in there and um, they can get to it no problem at all from um, from the link that's there. Um, but what would you say, obviously you've done a lot of Gran Turismo, do you have a, a favourite track and car combination? Uh, this is really difficult. I was a, I was a um, Suzuka hater um, and then I can't remember why, maybe it was one of the original track guides or maybe it was uh, one of the races I did really well at, but I sat Actually, it might have been even the Lewis Hamilton Challenge. I just sat down and um, spent lots and lots of time at that track, and it really became uh, – it, it moved its way very close to the top of my shortlist of favourite tracks, just that that turn one entry, um, that S's section through to Dunlop, uh, I think they're called the Degners. It's just such a technical track, and it's really rewarding, though. I enjoy the grass on the side of the, the road. Um, so you really have to push the car right to the edge to maximise uh, to maximize your lap time there. And it's it's very unforgiving, which makes it much more rewarding, I think. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I, I can't really explain why I like it so much. Um, it's, all, it's such a famous track too, though, isn't it? I mean, the history of Suzuka is amazing. I mean, yeah. everyone gets those Senna and Prost crashing, yeah. um, whether it be at the first yeah. corner or at the last chicane. Um, it's got real kind of character and kind of... I always remember Murray Walker doing his... It was way back in the 90s um, when he was he was standing on the grid at Monza before the race, you know, was when it was quiet and the mist was coming up and, you know, it was amazing. And, and he said, literally, motor uh, Grand Prix history literally oozes from the tarmac. You know, it's, it's yeah. got that kind of amazing... Amazing history, really. Um, so, Suzuka, and do you like other tracks too? Um, generally, ah, uh, Sukuba. Sukuba is another favourite of mine. Um, it's the home of Time Attack, uh, and it's probably where I spent the most amount of time in Gran Turismo 5 and Gran Turismo 6. Um, I think they might have even had Time Attack cars in the game at that stage, and I used to just spend hours and hours just trying to replicate um, some of the world's fastest time attack times around Sukuba. Um, and the other affinity is obviously the Nordschleife. Um, pumped many, many hours around there. Not really good at it, but I just enjoy 
I just enjoyed the, I guess, how road-like the track is. It's very much like going for a mountain cruise. Mm -hmm. um, and I did it last week. And I, I never thought I would enjoy that race. But to be fair, I, I really actually quite liked it because um, it's such a one you've got to concentrate the whole way through. Um, and it's it's tough, um, but it is it is quite fun actually. Certainly in Group Four cars, it was it was quite manageable. I think the guys that do really well on the faster cars, I think they're they're really good at it. But um, it's it, on on Group Four, I think us mere mortals can manage <laughs> it relatively relatively yeah. well, isn't it? Yeah. But, uh, yeah yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I don't have any really solid good times there. I don't think. I don't think I've ever spent the time. Um, uh, anyone that watches my channel will always hear me complain about how time limited I am. And I really enjoy short tracks. I struggle the long distance concentration. Um, trying to keep the brain in gear for seven minutes is uh, it's extremely taxing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Now we've got we've actually say that you love Suzuka. We've got Rory on board. Rory's following us today. Or here he is. Yeah, Rory. And, and, uh, he, he's uh, he of course is a big star at Suzuka. That's one of his favourite circuits. And uh, so you've got something in common there with Rory being able to master Suzuka. And uh, so no, that that is and it, that is a hard track. And you know it's it, as you say it demands so much, especially the the first um, seven or eight corners, don't they? As you go up to the the S's. But if you get them right, it's it does feel great. Um, as you kind of come through to the the top part and into the hairpins and things and the figure of eight, aren't they? Are that? But um, but no, it's that is quite a thing. What track would you like to see added to Grand Turismo? Because it doesn't have places like Silverstone and, and other tracks. Uh, I'm very Australian centric here. I really just want to play a game with a track called Phillip Island on it. Uh, it's a real. It's a motorbike circuit. It's fast and flowing and it's smooth. Um, it's probably got three corners in road cars that can be taken in excess of 180 kilometers an hour. And similar to Suzuka, it's got no runoff. So it's all about keeping it on the black stuff uh, yeah. in the middle, uh, very unforgiving. And I just, I really enjoy the high speed. Um, it's such a high speed circuit. I think it's it's a top, top gear. Um, turn 12 onto the main straight is yeah. Yeah, like, just in road cars is 160 to 180 and then turn one is probably in excess of 200 kilometer an hour yeah. and it's on a blind crest uh, so you just come over a crest uh there's nothing but ocean in front of you and you've just got to turn in and hope that the road reappears on the other side of the crest and uh yeah i not that, sure how super exciting it would be in a game but in real life it's so much adrenaline uh, so that's what I wish they would do with F1, that they would bring in some of the old classic circuits that you don't get on the new ones. You know, like obviously Malaysia has been dropped. That was always quite a good circuit. But things like Phoenix, Arizona, where you had all the classics and you could be a Lacey against Senna or something yeah. like that, you know, and have that kind of, that would be quite a good challenge. Um, or the kind of um, the old Paul Ricard or the old Imola when it was still yeah. the, the proper Tamburello corner and um, before yeah. they put the chicanes in. Um, things like that, I think, would be would be quite fun. Um, but, uh, but I've got a question for you from one of my other co-hosts, from Andrew Marr, saying, how does previous experience of uh, mechanics uh, and real racing help you to connect with the sim side of racing? Or does it actually connect at all? Uh, that, that is an excellent question. And I would say, does it correlate? 
it's very difficult to say because all your past experiences do help you form opinions and ideas into understanding what someone is trying to tell you. But if it's directly, directly relevant, maybe not so much because you can see a lot of, um, there's a lot of fast young people at the moment and you wouldn't suggest that they understand mechanics of the cars, but mm. they can still turn out the lap time. So is there correlation? And a lot of, a lot of fast drivers these days, it's almost become the driving discipline itself isn't really related. Like, uh, I think we'll, I can't remember if we were talking on the stream already, but I've read a few how to drive fast books mm -hmm. and there's not a huge amount of crossover um, in between the techniques required to drive the car fast and understand how the tires feel and how, um, yeah, like yeah. which end of the car you, that's more of a, that's more of a crossover into the engineer. If you want to play more technical games, maybe like ACC and iRacing yeah. that might help you. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I don't think it's for a game like Gran Turismo or Forza or anything like that. I don't think it's directly comparative. I don't, yeah. it won't inhibit you anyway. You yeah. don't really need I to. Think that's anything, I don't that's think. the nice thing about Gran Turismo that you don't have to have great setups, you know, in terms of it's really just brake balance. And that's really about it um, to do the races. And then obviously your strategy if you're doing FIA or the longer races, uh, which is nice because it means there's not so much to, to figure out. You just kind of have to drive the car as fast as you can and hope that you can make it work and, and get right up there. Um, and I, I hope that continues. That is my key draw to Gran Turismo. I just want to arrive and drive. I don't want to load setups. I don't want to be in a team. I don't want to be under pressure for, you know, I don't want to spend seven hours or eight hours perfecting the toe in or the toe out or how much camber rebound I have in my car. I want to, I just want to rock up and try and drive fast. I just, and I think it's, um, once you start adding setups into it, I think setups, they're not only for, but I think setups are more important for consistent drivers. So if you, can lap a track within one tenth, say ten laps in a row, and then you can adjust. Then you can adjust something in the car. Then you can see what the change made. But if you can't drive a car that consistently, then changing setups is, is it's just not going to help you. You'll never know if you went the right way, or whether you've improved. Uh -huh. Because if you do 10 laps of a track, the odds are you're going to slowly get more consistent of it. But if you make a change at the five-lap mark, then did you improve in the second five laps or did the car improve in the second five laps? And that it, it becomes all too complicated for me. I'm just trying to play a game and have some fun. So Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's a, yeah. I mean, that's a good answer to that question because I think that is, it, it it's the realism as well of what we're trying to get over, isn't it? The the sim having the better setup as well enables you to be able to catch that a bit more, isn't it? And and I, Andrew just added to his question there, saying um, because he doesn't do sim racing as such, he does he has played games in the past, but doesn't have um, the the most up to date um, uh, sim uh, equipment. Um, so he was saying, how do you think it compares, you know, because you've got the mechanical knowledge as well. Um, do you think that the sim, having the wheel and pedals gives you a more realistic feel of how the, the real car? Oh, yeah. Okay. That, yeah, that is an even better question. Um, I, on the controller, I was 
adamant that I was never going to buy a steering wheel. Um, there's You watch YouTube video after YouTube video how controllers are as fast as steering wheels. Um, but I had the self-belief that if you gave me the steering wheel and the correct information, that I'd be able to translate that into an action. And instantly from changing from the controller to the steering wheel, um, the lap times dropped uh, considerably, like so quickly. It took me, it took me a couple, probably two weeks to match my con best controller times. Um, but then I was taking half a second off nice. every week thereafter. And when I upgraded from the G29 to the Fanatec, um, the lap time just kept coming down because the Fanatec gave me even more information of what was happening on the road. Yeah. I could really start to feel the like the compression in the front of the car. I could feel the tire tear, like the slip angles of the front and rear. Like I could feel how much slip I had on each part of the car. Wow. And that just gives you a lot more information to work with. You, mm. you, um, yeah. And that leads into a question put in there. Um, about brake balance and why do I always go to brake yeah. balance to the rear? Yeah. Uh, the simple answer is brake balance to the rear on not every car. On most cars, helps rotate the car. Most of the cars in Gran Turismo don't really rot rotate in the trail braking section of the corner. So as you lift off your threshold braking into your trail braking, you really need to have the car rotating um, prior to the apex, because that's going to allow you to straighten the car up and accelerate out of the corner quicker. Um, and just most of the cars in Gran Turismo don't really rotate in that trail braking section. So putting brakes to the rear just helps me get the car rotated before the corner. Um, yeah, which is, yeah, which is essentially why it's always to the rear. And I don't really recommend that everyone just go to the rear straight away. Brake balance is more, it's more personal. It's how you're interacting with the car in the corner. Mm -hmm. um, it's really, is really important. Um, uh, the way that you apply the brake and release the brake is dependent on where your brake balance should be. Um, yeah. And you really have to notice the way that you're releasing the brake in the corner um, and then try and adjust your brake balance to suit, to, to help the car uh, rotate. Yeah, because that's what you have to do that with front-wheel drive cars, isn't it? Like the Audi TT and the Peugeot. Because um, when I did my stream on Monday, uh, one of my followers had said, uh, well, make sure you put your brake balance up to, to five on the rear um, because it, it'll get the car to snap a bit more. And it's true, it, it reacts so much better under braking yeah. and even just through the corners and different things. It's just, and then you see that it does, it does corner a lot better. So in those ways, it's quite good because it's, uh, uh, you know, it gives you a chance to, to compete better. Um, and, and, yeah. and, and you know, if you can make those extra tenth of a second at every corner, it's going to yeah. add up on your lap time and make you a lot more competitive. Definitely, definitely. More so, the the five to the rear in the front wheel drive cars also helps in your threshold braking because you're minimising weight transfer. Mm -hmm. So you're keeping more weight over the rear of the car in the threshold braking section, which gives you more total overall total grip. So yeah. that yeah really gets the car pulled up. Um, nice and quickly. Yeah. Now, that's the thing. So what would you say has been your biggest um, kind of uh, gain in lap time? Is it 
simply going back to getting the fastest corner on the fastest street, right? Or has there been other things as well that have made a big impact to the speed? That um, I would love to isolate it down to one thing, but the reality is I've it's just been a chip away effect. You just chip away at your technique. You're just continually chipping away at it. There's no, there's no magic bullets. There's no um, secrets to unlock. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's just that accumulation of, of knowledge. You just, you learn those little things like the, what I was saying about the most important corner on the track. If you're nailing that every time, you are rocking up to the break. Uh, you're rocking up to the break zone at the same speed every time thereafter which means you will always have this then you can start working on that break zone now because you're always arriving at the same speed if you're not arriving at the break zone at the same speed every time you can't work on your entry to the next corner mm -hmm. so so yeah so once you've got that corner nailed now you can start working on the break zone out of that corner uh, which will then allow you to start working on your apex which will then allow you to start working on your exit which that all which will then uh let you arrive at the next corner at the same speed every lap and then you can start working on that break zone and then that corner and it's just a continual uh yeah it's just a continual learning event as uh, as you find a little bit of apex speed that's going to change your entry into the next corner uh mm. which will then change the technique required to get through that corner so it's yeah yeah it's well, that is that is good good to know, and that is excellent um, excellent info for all our viewers and, and uh, sim racers who are desperately trying to find extra tents um, to get their lap times down. Now, one uh, the question we've got from Nippy Racing, it says, can you get quicker by racing or is time trialling the key? Both are extremely important. Uh, racing teaches you where different lines are on the track. Um, one thing that time trialing won't teach you, um, say if you're following a ghost or you're following or you're just doing what you are doing, uh, you will just arrive at every corner the, at the same speed at the same time all the time. Uh, in racing, you might be forced to change your line. Um, you might have someone behind you or someone in front of you uh, that you're trying to catch. So you're going you're gonna to attack each corner differently. And then you will learn that there's different amounts of grip in that corner uh which which you might not find at time trialing you might you'll get stuck in your ways time trialing so you need to balance both of them yeah. um yeah. I, yeah. I certainly found that to be true because when i was uh i was when i was trying to really focus on getting my lap times better all i did was time trial and hardly ever did racing on on the, on the I, I would do the the race a b and c but just time trial it um, and, uh, and and while I did get quicker, um, I struggled then. Whenever if I do a race, I would be I, I couldn't match my lap times that well at all in the yep. race. I would really struggle. So I try now to balance it and just bite the bullet and say, right, I need to do so much time trial and then at least a few races. Um, and then before I, that was before I did the live streaming. Um, yep. but, um, but yeah, because you've got you've got to do it. Otherwise, your your race craft really suffers if you're not doing it consistently. Um, Definitely. Um, I don't race as much as I should. Um, I find it steals too much of my time. So I try it. I try and only, well, I used to only play less than an hour a day. Um, so these days I'm sort of pumping that up to an hour to an hour and a half a day as we try to improve. 
but uh, where was I going with that? There was something important. Oh, racing fast people. So if you can get your time, uh, if you can get your time, say if you're starting in the top five on the daily racing, and I would suggest that everyone just crank out daily racing. It's it's really important to learn uh, other people, uh, learn how to race with other people, but it gives you an opportunity. So if you're starting fourth or fifth, just really watch those guys in front of you, like mimic their lines, really sit behind them and really analyze what they're doing and see what you can learn. Because especially in the, it's not as prevalent in the higher ranks, but in the lower ranks, there's really a lot of differences. You will be doing the same lap times as the guys around you, but mm -hmm. each person will have a strength in a different corner. Yeah. And so he'll be really good in this corner and he won't be so good in this corner, but he'll be good in another section of the track. So you really need to emulate mm -hmm. uh, what they're doing. So, so really try and pick up what lines they're using, how they're, what they're doing, and then try and emulate it behind them. It's not really important to go and overtake them straight away because you're faster than them on one corner. Uh, really yeah. try and take, like every single person has a different technique and something different that they can give to you when you're watching them drive mm -hmm. and uh, yeah just uh, try and absorb the information from those around you because there's so many people sharing um and every you never know what you're going to listen to or what you're going to see that is going to help you click for that next tenth that you're looking for yeah yeah that's quite interesting because when i interviewed david perel a wee while ago at the beginning of the year um, um he had said that now he recommends that you do maybe 20 minutes practice or half an hour's practice and then do three races on on the daily races, but no more than three. Um, so you're not on the on on the on the game for maybe more than an hour and a half at the tight at, at maximum kind of thing. And then that's that should be enough. But then obviously do it consistently. Um, and and he now reckons that, that things like GT Sport is actually more effective than go karting in some ways because actually you can learn and when you think how many miles you can cover. Um, and all the other things, like I said, the course as well, and these, you know, as he's doing the sim hub and the races from there, um, you know, the people learn a huge amount. I, I certainly found when I tried ACC and then got came back to Gran Turismo, I was quicker on Gran Turismo, partly because you don't get the lines, you don't get the cones, and and you don't sometimes get the brake markers as well. Yes. You've really got to go from the curbs and other things um, to try and. Yeah, that would be other advice that I would have is. Uh... I think I was asked about this recently. Um, maybe do a couple of base laps with your aids on and then keep turning them off. So uh, so say maybe start your first, you know, your first 10 minutes with all your um, aids on and then turn, say, the line off, then turn the little blue dot off, then turn the cones off. And by the time you're 20 minutes into the session, you really want to, uh, with all those cones, uh, lights and lines off, you really want to be doing the same times or better than what you were doing at the start of the session. And what you're trying to do is imprint the information um, because you're not really driving the car. Um, your brain's driving the car for you and it's just taking your input, the sensory information in, and then you're just reacting to it naturally. So mm -hmm. if you remove all those aids, um, you're imprinting more of the screen uh, in and you're getting a sense of the surroundings. And that way, when you move into the race, um, it doesn't matter if you don't have brake boards, if someone knocks all your brake boards off or someone hits your cones or um, because all the other information that is around on the screen at that time yeah. is helping you make your decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, not 
reliant. I really noticed, like I lost, I think I lost the best part of a second when I turned the cones off. Like the first yeah. time I, ever, I was just like, oh, I don't even know where to break for any of these corners. It just didn't make any sense anymore. And mm-hmm. what I, I'd narrowed my focus down to just like two orange cones. And you really, yeah. there's so much more happening on the screen that you need to be aware of. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Turning the aids off really helps you open. And I think just turning them off will improve your times. Like, because the next day when you turn them back on, you'll, you might see that they're a hindrance. Yeah. Um, turn them on say uh like a week after uh, having turned them off and i noticed that all the cones were in the wrong spots i'm like oh you don't break anywhere near that you need to be breaking like five meters after that and that turning point is nowhere near where i should be turning in um yeah that's quite yourself to the cone um yeah you lose time like the they're really elementary aids and i think turning them off will really really help you um yeah learn the track yeah now that's the thing um no that's that's really good to know isn't it because as you say you get so used to that and in fact there are certain bits in gran turismo where it tells you to break if you have the brake um sign that comes on and you don't have to break at all for that whole corner there's the, you can ignore that brake sign completely um yep. so, i mean that's going to be slowing you down massively if you believe that, or obviously if it's a hairpin, you're going to have to break. But for some of these kind of long, quite fast corners, um, quite often you go through it and when you realise that the fastest guys, they're not breaking at all. Um, and the car's perfectly fine. It's not even screeching or on that much of the limit. Um, so, no, it's it's quite, it's amazing how you do rely on those kind of aids at first, but actually they are quite, they're not, they're not going to give you the fastest time around the track. Like I've even, I even have that flashing gear covered um, at the moment because that puts me off as well. So the, um, because I, the next thing I noticed after turning the cones and the lines off, I noticed that my brain was just waiting for that gear flashing indicator. Uh-huh. And then say a quarter of a second after the gear flashing indicator went off, then I would start braking. And it's like, well, I don't need, I should be, I shouldn't be using a gear indicator to tell me when I'm braking and when I'm accelerating. Yeah. Um, so the, yeah, even that's covered these days. So I, most of my HUD is covered. Actually, I I can't yeah. I can't see I can't see any of it. I think the only bit I can see is the corner of my um corner of that little blue bar that comes off the screen because even that puts you off when it, you're trying to yeah. change gears. It's um, not necessarily right for every car, and it's not necessarily wrong. You can get more input if you just like listen to the engine and listen to the way that the car loads up. Yeah. So. Here's an interesting one question for you for that. Um, you know, some cars like the Corvette, you um, you know, the people who do the fastest lap times are changing up a wee bit earlier. Um, yep. Do you find that is an actual advantage? Because, you know, and what cars would you suggest are ones that that might apply to? Unfortunately, I'm not a pro time trialer as much as people think I am. Uh, I change, I change when I feel the engine feels okay. And I... I have time trialed in the Viper lately, trying to catch some really fast times, and they were changing probably just a little bit after half. Um, the engine doesn't sound like it's ready to change, yeah. but I found it to be worth around about four hundredths. So for for those that aren't looking for anything 
for tents, if you're not looking for tents yet, I don't think it's important yet. Yeah. Um, it does it does actually make a difference. You can visually see it changing your distances between the ghosts. Mm-hmm. But as far as delta times, it's not affecting it as much. Like if you had two or three straights, it might be worth a tenth. But if yeah. you're not looking for a tenth, then I don't think it's critical personally. Yeah. But that's just my opinion. Um, and also it stabilizes the car a bit more if you change up a wee bit earlier, isn't it? For some it, corners and some tracks. Um, it would it would what was I gonna say? It's probably more important um having the right gear selection inside the corner. So generally the little gear indicator is one gear below where you should be. So if it yeah. says you should take the gear in the corner in second, you should be in third. And I've found lately, probably within the last two months that it's even more beneficial to roll in even in a gear higher than that these days. So sometimes I'm rolling into the corner in two gears higher than that indicator. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like this week's second Lesmo at Monza, yeah. um, it should be, or it's not, but you'll see a lot of people using third, but rolling in and out in fourth is it's actually better. Yeah. It keeps uh, the group better, doesn't it? It actually keeps the car... Um, yeah, out much better in fourth. Yeah, so the engine feels laboured down, like you're not accelerating. But the amount of time you made from not doing the downshift on the entry, the car is more stable on the entry of the corner. And mm-hmm. so, if it's more stable on entry, it's going to be more stable on exit, and that's mer- that's wor- m- worth more time than the downshift and the upshift. Yeah, so, and also you lose time from changing gear. It's just yeah, that's what I mean. So you've lost the time by unsettling the car. You lose the time in the shift, and so you lose two times worth of shift versus the unsettled, like the car being unsettled as well. Um, so you could find yourself a tenth or two just in having a better, like a more stable car through the corner. Mm-hmm. Now, we've had a, an excellent quote here, actually, by Ant. He said, I got a scale electrics and I put a SIM card on it. Is this now SIM racing? <laughs> it, I think it is. That's definitely embracing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see how it couldn't be. That's what you do on a budget. If you don't <laughs> get yourself a scale electric set, <laughs> yeah. And there you go. <laughs> you know. But um, but to be funny, we once uh, when when my course Jonathan was doing his racing license at Silverstone way back in two thousand and it was two thousand and seven. Um, uh, Jan Magnussen was actually on the same course. There were two groups. On, on this course and there are two groups of 12 and they had two different racing days um but uh, jan magnuson and his father um or what was the other one it was jan magnuson there was oh sorry it was kevin magnuson and yeah. jan magnuson that's what it was um they were phenomenal at scale electrics um but they i don't know how they managed it because they had a massive scale electric set in, in the entry hall at the race drivers club at silverstone um and they were all around it constantly and they could go faster than anybody else around this thing maybe it was the reaction timing um, and things like that, but uh, but no, it's quite funny how you can do it on those on practice on scale electrics, and you never know where you might end up. But uh, we never thought when we took that picture, and Kevin Magnuson's actually in the picture. I'm gonna have to get it from Facebook um, and put it on our show here um, because nobody believes me when I said well, we stood on the podium uh, with Kevin Magnuson uh, when he was only about 14, or he was you know just a young chap, um, but well before he got into Formula One. Um, but and it's also Jonathan's claim to fame um, to be on the same course as he was. But uh, but no, we'll we'll get on to another question here. We're, yeah. They're coming in thick and fast. 
Oh, before I just jump in, I see Keith said maybe he's destined to be a midfielder. Uh, there's no such thing, mate. Uh, really, the it's how you, you only take the game as seriously as you want to. Uh, I don't. I try not to take it too seriously. Mainly, my time trialing and learning to become faster is that's the fun part. Like I'm really, I really actually am enjoyed. I really enjoy like trying to find those tents and trying to find that time and really improve my technique. Um, so if that's the fun part for you, then that's what you do. Otherwise, stick to the bit that you enjoy in the game. If you like making liveries, make liveries. If you like taking photos, take photos. If you like time trialing, yeah, get some books, do some reading and just time trial. Uh, if you like racing, just sit on the racetrack and race. It doesn't actually matter. As long as you're enjoying yourself, that is the only reason I play the game. So yeah, um, I think that comes over a lot, doesn't it? And people who are enjoying doing what they're doing, it's fun. I mean, I was, I, I did, although I was deeply frustrated on Monday night on my stream in Monza, I did actually enjoy it because you need those tough races to kind of make you think, okay, we've had some nice races where we've, you know, cruised to victory or we've been able to stay in the top three quite, you know, relatively easily. They were good races, but, um, but when people take you off and punt you, you've got to think, well, okay, how do I avoid that? That's the next challenge of trying to up your racing. And, and yes, there will be a few bleeps here and there when it yeah. happens. But you've got to hopefully it was hopefully it was good for the audience as well because they see that you're still going, you're still having another shot, you're not giving up, um, and uh, and and you do enjoy it. I mean, you you forget quite quickly about your bad races. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the thing. Um, saying agreed. I love and enjoy every moment of racing, even in last place. Ah, yeah, no, I mean it's true. It's it's quite. I think that the, the, they're saying Pat Furby's saying never rage quit. Finished no matter what. Um, the thing is, yeah. <laughs> and it's true because in DT Sport, you can fall to last right away and still finish really high, uh, which is true. Um, and uh, for example, I did the Group C race uh, this week. The one, it's the, it's the Group 2 at um, Tokyo, was the expressway. And it's and I thought, I quite like the Group C. I haven't done so much of it for the, the daily racing. So I want to try and do a bit better. And I was hopelessly slow. I was like four and a half seconds off the pace of the best lap time in the world. And I thought, well, surely I'll, I'll maybe get to maybe two and a half seconds off. But I was nowhere near. I couldn't master the chicanes. But I was. Uh, I ended up being like 15th on the grid and very quickly went to 17th. I was punted at the first chicane. Um, but I thought, right, I'm just going to keep going and see what happens. In the end, I think we finished, I think it was 13th or something like that, 13th or 14th. But it was a good race because you learn. You learn so much. And I thought, actually, my pace isn't that far away from the guys in front. So you, you learn by following them as well, isn't it? And trying to kind of catch up a bit. Yeah. it's the And the difference between qualifying and race pace is a lot. Like if yeah. you're probably within one second of the top time trialers, you'll be fairly comparative on their race pace. Um, it's the, that board trails off fairly quickly as in, yeah, to find those couple of tents in time attack is um, they're really nailing some of them high speed sections and they can be worth three or four tents, but they won't be nailing them in every lap when they daily race. So yeah, yeah, um, they come back to the field pretty quickly. Uh, I guess that's that's why I don't know is it offensive we call it the wank board down here because it's really it's just you just want to look at your name, but when you open Grand Tour so Sport, you're like, oh look, there's my name. But um, yeah, it doesn't really uh, it doesn't really translate to race pace or uh, yeah, it's very rare that you find someone that can uh, 
yeah, race at their time trial speed. Yeah, I, and some of them may have set it quite early on and haven't matched it since, isn't it? That's the thing. Yeah, definitely. But um, and that's it. We have Jeff with us as well. Um, Jeff. Jeff, yeah, um, from the Terra Amazons, um, who was, I'm sure he'll be doing a live show tonight. I think, is it the rally night tonight? Or is it, uh, I'm trying to think of GT3 that they do on, on a Thursday. Um, but um, but yeah, so we're getting lots of lots of uh, um, big uh, big racers in tonight. And the comment is there. And I did a scale electric stream a few months ago, Hugh. That was great fun. <laughs> I bet it was actually. It sounds it, it is quite a fun game to play. I remember I was so disappointed because when I was a kid, I wanted a scale electric set. Um, you know, because it had all the proper cars and the F1 cars and all of that. And I'd asked for it. Sent sent a letter to Santa when I was about nine years old or whatever it was. Um, my parents got me. It wasn't a scale electric set. It was some very dodgy ripoff that was, you know, that was battery powered, and the cars looked like they were kind of cheap, very, very cheap uh, replicas. You know, that were nothing like what you saw on TV. And they said, "There you are. That's all you're getting." You know, so that was that was that. And the batteries lasted for about thirty minutes, and that was it done. So it was in the old days, but no, scale electrics is certainly a lot better than it used to be. That um, so keep your your questions coming in. And uh, we'll be asking James all about his incredible skills and not just time trial, but racing as well. What would you say you would like to see in Gran Turismo in the future for the next GT7? Uh, almost needed to be pre-prepared for some of these, I think. What do I want out of the game? Um, uh I'm very Japanese-centric, so I just want to see more classic Japanese cars. Um, back in the early, uh, in the early Gran Turismo's, there was a huge array for any. Like it's really more probably prevalent for us Australian and New Zealanders. We have such a big classic Japanese car culture, um, and in some of the early GT games, we had like every classic Japanese car you could think of was in the game, and. Um, it's sort of sad that a lot of those classic cars have fallen by the wayside. Yeah. Um, so GT7 be can become a more car culture game like it used to be. I think there's so much more than GT Sport. Like there's so many players that never even access the sport side of the game. Yeah. Um, and hopefully GT7 can really – sometimes I just sit down on a Sunday, sit down with a controller, and I just want to make a livery or – thrash an old car or just uh just enjoy myself go back to and try and relive the old Gran Turismo three four days and um yeah so hopefully we can see and maybe for the Europeans maybe if they just start adding some classic uh European cars and really because that's where I, I learned so much from this game I used to read the blurbs on every car I'd go in uh, click on the car read that little blurb on the right hand side yeah yeah and just be like, oh, this is why this car's in the game. This is why this is important. This is, um, yeah, really, like I said, a mechanic, love working with my hands, love cars, cars culture. And I really thought that Gran Turismo Sport, oh, not Gran Turismo Sport, Gran Turismo had really made that connection in the, yeah. in the computer world. It, it really, you could, yeah, I think like Furby said, you could go to the car wash, you can go and wash your car, you can go and change your oil, you can do all ah, that. That was a brilliant one, wasn't it? And it would make a it would make a bit of a difference um, to your to your performance if you got an oil change every so often. Yeah, I was saying in the stream the other night. I think I had 
three or four thousand k's on a car i was like yeah we need to go and get an oil change to get bloody an extra 50 horsepower i need some horsepower back in this thing so yeah, um, yeah. And, the, and then if you did like the old uh what is it the hack if you did the oil change on the brand new car i think you got about 20 horsepower so it was even even like little nuggets like that where you're just like oh just you know they'd put so much effort into that car culture side of the game yeah um, yeah like i really do love sport um, but I also, you know, I do miss that that car culture side of it. Um, yeah, yeah, no, and it's, it, it needed that and bringing and it had a mix of really of really good cars and some really terrible cars. Um, yeah. I love the old Volkswagen camper vans. Um, and because at Gran Turismo Five that you had to race around the top gear track, I think yeah. they were hilarious. They were great fun. Um, I'd love to see that, and also the Goodwood Hill Climb. I really enjoyed doing that. That was a really hard hard um, challenge. Um, but it was great fun, and I think they could do a lot more with that. Um, I think it would, be, it would be good to get that one back. Uh, not everyone, but in Reddit, I've noticed come across the screen a few times, like, why don't we have Pikes Peak? Like, apparently Gran Turismo sponsors Pikes, Pikes Peak. Like, I, oh, really? I used to be such a Pikes Peak fanboy uh, back in the day, and, yeah, just having that on there would be so good. Like, we could... You know, because it's virtual, we could have the full dirt Pikes Peak. We could have the full bitumen Pikes Peak, and the few years where it was the crossover in between. Um, yeah, just stuff like that. Like, yeah, with the old Peugeot, the Peugeot rally car. You know, yeah. like the old cars from the eighties, the Audi Quattros, and all of that. That would be amazing. I think that would be that would be fantastic fun. But uh, now we've got a very, I think, a very appropriate um, uh, question regarding the, not well, not just the penalty system on GT Sport, um, but Jonathan has said um let's see now here we are uh yeah i think you should be able to bribe the fia like they do in real life <laughs> ferrari no names <laughs> so yeah no that would be one and also your um your good friend fat Furby was saying a penalty system that they don't change every week um which, yeah. which is true. <laughs> but, um and it says jonathan said um pay ten thousand game credits for a spurious safety car you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, good old graduates for safety cars. Uh, the, yeah, we need the R34 safety car back. I'm not sure if they, I'm not sure if they have it in this version. I think we might be under later model safety cars, but we need the original Gran Turismo R34 yeah. safety car back uh, with events. That that would be good. That um, I, um, Thea from the Amazon is saying. The Pikes Peak car is absolutely crazy because she does a lot of dirt rally. In fact, it was her rally stream tonight, um, which is always very, very good to watch. Um, but uh, and that, we know that, that it does look great fun. But I think that would be amazing if they could get Pike Peak's car. That that kind of and that track that would be fantastic. I think they would that that would give it the character because I think in some ways Gran Turismo is lacking a little bit in those kind of motorsport character races that it needs. Um, and yeah. it captured it. It did have it before, you know, when it had the Goodwood Hill climb and things like that and the Top Gear, you know, it was kind of, everyone was talking about that. You know, they said, oh, have you done Challenge 3 on the Top Gear track yet, you know? Um, the glory days, mate. It was the glory days. Glory days of Gran Turismo. Um, but yeah. hopefully we can get back there. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. That's the thing. We'll keep your questions firing through for James Maxwell or in exile because it's going really, really well and we're having some fantastic banter as well from everyone who's watching. Now, a quick, quick question for you all. We are looking to interview more of you. So who is going to be brave enough to join the likes of James here tonight 
and Rory Alexander and Super GT. They've all been on the show. Would you like to be next? All you need to do is email me, info at hughattrick.com, and we can get you on the show. And we'll be interviewing you all about your motorsport history so your followers and fans can get to know what you really like and what you really think. So let me know and send me an email and it will be fantastic to get you all on the show. So we'll carry on. A random F1 question. Um, who is, who's going to be winning the Drivers' Championship in F1 in 2021? It's early prediction time. Is there really anybody else? Uh, Hammy's got it in the bag. Um, uh, is there even anyone else racing at the moment? <laughs> it's, such tough, it's such a tough, uh, so tough. Like when he's at the top, every time I think Hamilton has peaked, he just finds another gear. It's, it's um, like I feel so bad for Ricardo, like being an Aussie fan, watching Weber get blitzed by Vettel, and then now watching Ricardo. Like, I feel Ricardo has the pace, you know what I mean? But he just happens to become Australia's best driver at the time where Hamilton is just unstoppable and Mercedes Mercedes are equally unstoppable. Um, I, I can't see, like, a, the dream is McLaren next year. And uh, to, to ruin all your viewers' dreams, like, McLaren is a New Zealand car company. So... Uh, we the Kiwis just want McLaren back on top. It's yeah, um, yeah. and I think with with Ricardo um, going there, that he'll be good. I mean, he's been phenomenal and has some great overtakes, and he's got more out of that Renault um, than Ocon by a long way. I mean, he's actually made Ocon look quite slow. Um, to yeah. Be fair. yeah, I was. Uh, I, I never really rated Ocon in his first in his first go, but I thought. I was really worried that he might actually be quick and take it to Ricardo. Um, but it feels like Ricardo is just taking it in his stride. Um, so that's good. Like it's good for the Aussie fans. Mm -hmm. uh, I really hope McLaren with the Mercedes engine can really step up their game. It's going to be interesting to see because that Renault engine has come on quite strongly. Yeah. Um, whether it is actually the engine or not, it's difficult to say, but uh uh, Renault do like to uh, brag that they've made the horsepower now. Um, yeah, so just hopefully McLaren don't slip back because it's going to be a chassis change as well to fit that engine in. Yeah. Um, and hopefully hopefully there's no backward steps. Hopefully it's just a matter of bolting it in and uh, staying on the same pace. Um, it's just really hard to say uh like where the torque and the power curve is in each engine whether it's going to respond whether the chassis can respond to the different uh, harmonics of the engine will be interesting but uh mm. we'll see time will tell yeah yeah no it's it's a, it's it, at least it's, it is quite a good season overall i mean it's not anywhere near as close as it was last year because i think we had some great races last year quite a few and at the start ferrari looked like they might just do it you know but it was the it was a strategy that always let them down um yep. Uh, yeah, it's kind of it's it's an interesting one um, because you kind of think you know it's obviously it was all engine mods, wasn't it? It was all the engine that, that, that was so powerful, and then of course thanks to the irregularities, they weren't <laughs> do that anymore. Um, and it takes something else for Ferrari to be kind of told they're not allowed to do that. Um, but it must have been it must have been a, a major advantage that they had uh, with that engine for them to have to get penalised certainly. Uh, yeah. But it makes the sport 
I mean, I, I hope they can close the gap a bit as well, especially for next year. Um, as they get to normal. I really hope the rebrand to Aston Martin is is really good for Racing Point as well. Like, I would love uh, just. Could you could you imagine if we could have a grid of like the likes of Mercedes, Aston Martin, and uh, yeah, and McLaren all just pumping it out at the front like that would yeah. be. Well, I mean, yeah, that's the stuff dreams are made of. There was there was Kimi Raikkonen in second place in his Alfa Romeo for a while on Sun last Sunday, and we always thought maybe I think he was on the wrong tires. But if that car had just been a little bit better, there was a possibility that Alfa could have won. That race in Monza, and that would have been an incredible, almost historic um, victory for them if they had been a bit quicker, you know. But because um, uh, yep. Raikkonen is quite reliable, to be fair, but I think the car just he struggled. Now, I've got an idea here. Who would like to see Jeff Colclough come on the show? Because I know we've had his fiancée on the show with Teo Amazon. And if you don't know who she is, you need to check out her channel because she's a phenomenal female racer. But I think, Jeff, it would be very interesting to get your idea of what goes on, what it's like um, to be Thea's partner in crime for all that racing and rallying um, that she does. I'm sure we'd love to have you all on the show. That would be that would be amazing. That um, so in 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 closing, we'll we'll get to a stage. If there's any more quick fast questions, we'll we'll get them to you. But uh, um, what what do you think GT7 will bring us? Do you think there will be anything that will be really exciting that will be worth? making that purchase the uh, i think the sports side is going to be relatively similar i think the big energy in the game will be uh if they can if they can re-harness some of that energy from especially three and four um just really really make it a cult popular game again i think uh, like if you look at the numbers, I don't know. I'm a bit of a numbers guy. I like to grow on the numbers, but it looks like there's close to eight million players of Gran Turismo Sport. Yet we're less wow. than eight hundred thousand people playing sport mode. So mm -hmm. I don't even think sport modes hit a hit a million players in its life. So the the playing the casual side of the game has the biggest player base, and I think that GT Seven is just going to cater to those guys really. I think uh, I think they're really going to push to bring some of that traditional Gran Turismo back, and yeah. Yeah. GT Sport will probably be bolted on the side for us more for for us race enthusiasts. Like I've definitely got the bug now, um, and I'm hooked. Um, so I'll definitely stay on the sport side of the game. But I think the big news for Gran Turismo Seven will be on the will be on the casual side of the game. So, yeah. but. Yeah. Uh, might be wrong. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I, I certainly hope they can bring back more tracks and more cars. Um, I think that would be really exciting and it would bring that kind of more fun experience um, to doing Gran Turismo. And I hope they can race them as well in, in GT Sport. In terms of, you know, putting it on the sports side of it, I think that would be really, really good. Because when you get like the 1960s minis racing around Suzuka East or Brands Hatch Indy uh, or Goodwood, they're great around Goodwood. Um, I really, really love those races. And I don't know if you remember the one a wee while ago, they did Mark 1 Golf GTIs around uh, the, it was the, oh, it was the German Grand Prix. It was the Nuremberg, when they were, uh, Nuremberg. And, uh, and that was a brilliant, that was a fantastic race. It was kind of brutal for the first few corners, but, uh, but it was great fun. And the cars were on such a laugh to drive. So I think they should do that with a Golf GTI, a Renault 5 Turbo, 
and a Peugeot yeah. 205 GTI, the old one, the you know yeah. the early ones. Uh, that would be, I think, I think that would be hilarious. Um, yeah. Maybe MG Metro, something terrible from Britain, to come along and, and try and do something yeah. like that as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I think that could be quite good fun. And I know there's supposed to be a British touring car game coming out in the next uh, wee while. That could be quite good. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I'm not sure who's making it, but I thought someone put a, an advert for it. Um, so that could be quite fun because the beat you know, it was like the cars from the 90s. You had the Volvo Estates, you had all the, the Vauxhall Cavaliers and all of that. Uh, Toyota Carinas and and things. I think that would be that would be that would be a huge amount of fun. Um, and there used to be a great game. Now, what was it? It was it wasn't saloon cars. It was it was Toka touring cars. That's what it was. And on the early stages of that, you could do the kind of career, and you would start in single seaters like Formula Ford. And I had this great battle around Silverstone uh, in the Formula Ford race, but I touched wheels with somebody else, and it was the AI at the time, and they went spiraling off doing this great cartwheel off into the side of the track. And the next time I came round, the, honestly, it was the most advanced thing I'd ever seen for the time. It's never been matched, I don't think. The guy was standing at the next to his car, waving his fist at me the next time I went round. It was uh, brilliant. And yeah, I thought, is. we need a bit more than bit more of that, you know, a bit of kind of fun responses from the from the AI or other drivers to kind of um, you know make it kind of work. I think that would be quite fun. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so a lot of people say bring back Toka touring cars. Um, that would be that would be a brilliant one. Um, and I think that could be that would be that would be fun. Well, it looks like Jeff has said yes. It looks like Jeff is up for coming back on the show. Um, that would be that will be fun. We'll we'll get a date sorted out in the diary, um, and that will be one definitely not to miss. Um, that will be good fun. We'll find out all the secrets of Thea's success and all of that. But to you, James, thank you very much for coming on the show tonight. And stay on the line just now. Um, and thank you to all our viewers and watchers. I know you've been all around the world, from New Zealand, from Australia, from Canada, from America, <clears throat> and from Britain and across Europe. Uh, oh, we've got one last question. What is your sim setup? Yeah, excellent question. I've got a track racer. I think it's the RS8. All right. That's a good one. Yeah, and uh, Fanatec CSL Elite. Um, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that, that's all you need, isn't it? I think just um, yeah, those two pieces of equipment. Yeah, so that's load cell pedal. Um, I can can recommend, but yeah, just uh, just the basic, and that was just an upgrade from the C, uh, the G twenty nine was the original wheel uh, that I used. Um, yeah, and then prior to that, it was all just controller. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's that's fantastic. The Audi RS8, but only a little bit of pipe tube without the <laughs> no engines. <laughs> that's great. Well, on that note, on that note, we will end the show. But thank you to everyone for watching tonight from wherever you are across the globe. It's fantastic to have you with us. It's a pleasure to have the community. It's been a pleasure to have James. Uh, Maxwell, all the way from New Zealand. You can see that beautiful uh, bit there in the back of your window there, the sunshine in New Zealand. But uh, thank you very much to all of you for watching the show. And we'll be back on Monday with Fat Man in a Cheap Sim at 9 o'clock uh, on UK time. So make sure you don't miss that. And make sure you subscribe to James's channel, which is in exile. And the link is in the description. But to all of you, thanks very much. And remember our motto. Drive fast and try not to crash. Bye just now.